0: I'm an ex-alcoholic, drug addict, criminal, hustler, womanizer, fighter, liar, manipulator, player, drug dealer, thief, abuser, hypocrite, and a worldly confused individual. My name is Ben Lively. I'm not who I was before. I'm a born-again child of the Most High God. Anointed, chosen, set apart, and called to represent the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I teach Christians the truth of God's Word. I'm a mouthpiece for the Lord Jesus Christ. I will not compromise, play any games, or waste time with this mission from on high. I know that in and of myself, I am nothing. I need God for every breath I take and every move I make. I have Christ living in me, and I'm burning with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I'm different now and forevermore. This earth is not my home. I know that and I declare it boldly. I'm strong in prayer, praying in power and in the spirit. I will preach, teach, deliver, evangelize, prophesy, baptize, and build up groups of believers as God allows. He is working through me as I'm surrendered to His service as an instrument of righteousness. And if you know me or get to know me, you'll realize that I take no credit for this. But God gets all the glory. In Christ. I live, and to heaven I will rise. Thank you so much for tuning in, and welcome, everyone. Hope you're well. I'm your host, Ben Lively, and you're listening to Shaken Awake, episode number 18. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing right this very moment. And listen, if you find any value in today's episode, please pass the news, pass the uh, podcast name and link to a friend, family member or colleague that you feel would benefit from the show and become as blessed as you are through the words that the Lord shares through these messages. And don't disconnect early today. I'm announcing next week's episode at the end of. Of this one, as I normally do, and it's going to be one of the most controversial uh, subjects in Christianity today, so don't miss the announcement. Uh, For now and today, I promise you another great show, but more than anything, my hope for you today and always is that you have an actual encounter with the Lord. He is always right there with you, even if you think he's not. So let's get ready to invite him in with us right here and right now and allow him to speak directly to our hearts and and minds. So here goes. Here is today's topic. You don't go to church. You are the church. The point of today's episode that God's placed on my heart to speak with you on today stems from an awakening and a movement of the body of Christ to fall back into the roots of biblical doctrine, not of modern day uh, hearsay. Uh, so my hope is you have a better sense of... Of expectations of Jesus, as stated in Scripture, and not continue dwelling inside the box that you've been in most or all of your life any further. Of course, I'm only going to put a rock in your shoe. God has to do the rest with your obedience and willingness to uh, to seek Him and His truths. So most people know or have known, including myself, I, I, that have been blinded, and I believe it's a, a tool straight out of the toolbox of Satan to the fact that church was never meant to be the following. A place where you feel obligated to go, get dressed up, put on your fake smile, talk to people you don't know, appearing to be a 10 on a one to 10 scale, sit in a pew, sing some prearranged songs, to then listen to some upcoming events and announcements, to then sit quietly without speaking a word to anyone while one person in the entire building is putting on a performance to the best of their God-given talents and abilities, while everyone, including you, sits and has no input as your pastor, preacher, minister speaks on a prearranged sermon that takes very little directly from the Bible or more than a few verses and proceeds to give a pre-time delivery of mostly his and sometimes her impression and or interpretation of the Bible. And on the subject matter, they're speaking of some tithing happens, some call to action, then perhaps song or benediction, then a farewell blessing before everyone puts back on their smiles and walks away. If this sounds like church to you, then you can easily say that my podcast is church as well. The only difference is you're not in a building called a church and you're listening on a device. So if this description bothers you, it should. My pastor once told us if the only time you worship praise and love on God is on Sundays, and he's not your God, he's your Sunday idol that's a truthful analogy I will never forget in this lifetime but it's true no matter how you look at it the place of worship was never meant to be inside a building it was meant to be out in the mission field and I'm gonna back everything up as I say you as usual from your Bible so that's not from my point of view but rather God's so the church is people so what is the church according to the Bible the very first mention of the word church in the whole Bible is is in Matthew chapter 16. So in in chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus brings his disciples outside Jerusalem and asks them who they think he is. And if you can remember the story, Peter responds by declaring, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In verse 16, Jesus tells Peter that he received this revelation from God. After such an important revelation, we might think the Lord would speak more about it. But instead, as soon as Jesus confirms this revelation, uh, he responds by declaring, upon this rock, I will build my church. The revelation of the church here is of such importance and significance to Christ that he couples it with the revelation of who he is. Therefore, we need to find out, what is the church that Christ reveals to us here in Matthew? Let's look at the word church. In the original language of the New Testament, the the Greek word for church in this verse is Ecclesia, which means outcalling or assembly of called out ones. So the church, the Ecclesia, is the assembly of all people who've been called out of the world by God. The church isn't a physical building. It's a group of people. So who who are the called out ones? The church, the ecclesia, is the assembly of people called out by God. But what makes a person one of these? Well, let's take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God, which is in Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, the called saints. So the, to the church of God equals to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. This firmly states that the church is a composition of the saints and that the saints are the elements of the church. The two shouldn't be considered separate en- uh, entities. Individually, we are the saints. Corporately, we are the church. So both both phrases refer to the same thing but have a different importance. The phrase, the church of God tells us Paul's addressing the ecclesia, the assembly of called out people. And the phrase, those who have spent and sanctified in Christ Jesus tells us something about those uh, called out people. So the people who comprise the church are not simply a group of people who believe the same doctrines or have the same ideas and preferences. They aren't even a group of people who have decided to meet together to worship God. No, the people who compose the church have been sanctified That is made holy. So how then are they sanctified? The verse says they are sanctified in Christ Jesus. How wonderful. It's in Christ that we're made holy and that is separated unto God and thereby become elements of the church. So the church isn't comprised of people who've attained some certain standard or uh, have have fulfilled role or regulation. The church is composed only of people who have received Jesus Christ through their faith in him. So when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are reborn or born again with the eternal life of God. This life, which is just Christ himself is the sole condition for our membership in the church. There is no other way. The church isn't a club or an organization of uh, like-minded individuals that we can join. It's not even a, a group of people who are knowledgeable about the Christian religion. The church is the assembly of all the people from all of time who have believed in Christ and received the life of God. Therefore, we must be born into the church through our regeneration. We are the church. You are the church. If you're used to hearing things like, where do you go to church? Or I went to this or that church on Sunday. You're not alone. But according to the Bible, all of us who've received Christ Jesus are the church. We're part of this magnificent central ecclesia that Christ values so highly. My brother in Christ, Ethan Vanskoy, I uh, was a guest on a, on this show a few episodes ago, turned me on to a book called Pagan Christianity. And I'm not going to lie, from the sound of it, uh, it was tempting not to read it, as it uh, it didn't sound like something I wanted to read outside of the Bible. However, I trusted Ethan to provide some holy sources of reading. And, and I also wanted to see what this author had to write about, about what was so pagan about Christianity and I could I could make a series of podcasts on those subjects alone. I'm still trying to process and regroup with all I learned. But in essence, the book goes over many of the things the, the body of Christ does today, the history of how it came to be, and how very minuscule minuscule or almost completely obsolete it is from the origins of time. Of Christ and those of the first, first first church, meaning the origins all have pagan beginnings. And like many things in life, we just do it because we've always have and no one questions it. There's a real eye opener to be crystal clear. Everything from communion to the pews, to the stage, to the offering, to the way churches, uh, the service is held, to the way sermons are delivered. There's nothing wrong with serving the Lord in a building but there's so much more to it that it needs to be addressed. What is the church? The church consists of God's people. It's the assembly of believers in Jesus Christ. The physical buildings facilitate or should facilitate the fellowship, the worship and ministry of God's people, but it's not the church. The early Christian church was persecuted. Christians did not congregate in a large physical building. You know, they met in secret in the homes of other Christians. I'm starting with the most important today as I've been blinded my whole life, as likely most of you have, unknowingly, and I'm sure with the best intentions. I'm here to break Satan's deceptions today and give those with eyes to see and ears to hear something to pay attention to and seek guidance from, directly from his word. Remember, never take my word for anything. It's his word that counts and only His word that counts. So let's take a look at what the word says about the true body of Christ. That's you and I. So first, First Corinthians seventeen to thirty-one states, "All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it." Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles. Second are prophets third are teachers than those who do miracles those who have the gift of healing those who can help others those who have the gift of leadership those who speak in unknown languages are we all apostles are we all prophets are we all teachers do we all have the power to do miracles do we all have the gift of healing do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages of course not so you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. So we each have gifts from the Holy Spirit to use as a functioning member of the body of Christ, which is the true church. Think about Paul's amazement in Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 6-7. It says, "'I marvel that you are turning away so soon "'from him who called you in the grace of Christ "'to a different gospel, which is not another, "'but there are some who trouble you "'and want to pervert the gospel of Christ.'" He rebukes, he rebukes not, not the pastors, but the members, and tells them to reject even apostles or angels who teach a false gospel. What this means is that you and I are responsible to study the gospel and know it, not to rely solely on the speech of a man, unless that speech is directly quoted from the Bible, which is which alone is God's word. As an example, can you summarize the gospel in 60 seconds or less? Can you explain the relationship between faith and works? Can a Christian live in unrepentant sin? Why or why not? Why is it important for a Christian to affirm the doctrine of the Trinity? What role do good deeds, fellowship, and hospitality play in promoting a a church's uh, gospel ministry? What's the difference between regret and repentance? You see, the answer to everything in this life and the next and our instruction manual that has stood the test of time sits between the first and the last page of your Bible, the living breath of God. It's not front stage in a uh, a stage setting. How do I know? Well, for one, the Bible's told me so. Secondly, the Holy Spirit has shown me so. And thirdly, I've learned more about Jesus and truth in one pass-through of the Bible than I had my entire life at Sunday school, church, Christian camps, or vacation Bible schools. Did they teach me anything incorrect? No, absolutely not. And I encourage participation in each one of those for everyone. But what they failed to teach me or intentionally, or sorry, unintentionally kept out of their t- teachings was sermons about what was almost costing me an eternity in hell. So much was never taught. So much. 90% of what I now know came from the Bible, not the pulpit. By digging into God's word, God has spoken to me, not through another man, but from his own mouth. And so has his Holy Spirit. God, uh, guys, I'm not saying not to go to church and uh, to praise and worship God. In fact, go. But don't let the building be your church when Jesus has commanded that you be the church. So what did Jesus say about the church? Well, Jesus is only recorded as talking about, quote unquote, church twice. I mean, Matthew 16, 18 and Matthew 18, 15 through 17. So on the occasion, uh, the only occasion Jesus talked about his church, he was talking to Peter. And he said, and also I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Haiti will not overpower it. That's Matthew 16, 18. On the second occasion... Matthew 18, 15 through 17, Jesus uh, gave clear instructions about how we, his followers, should behave if we have a problem with someone else in the church community. So this is important, but it doesn't give us any guidance as to how we should organize our communities or community activities, right? Our church activities. So we can get a a better understanding by looking at another uh, verse. Uh, So for example, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother, It's Matthew 12, 50, and also Luke 8, 21. Jesus' church is a family whose members are dedicated to serving God. We are members of Jesus' family and church. But Jesus didn't leave any instructions as to how we should organize ourselves. Perhaps he did this so the members of his family in different places could develop ways of meeting that are appropriate to their own cultures and their own needs. Of course, Jesus wants us to do this carefully, prayerfully, and under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus' family and church is defined not by particular organizational structures, but by our love for God and for each other, and by our obe- obedience to his teachings. So perhaps another reason Jesus didn't leave us any instructions you know, about how to organize ourselves is that he doesn't want us to organize ourselves. Perhaps he just wants us to be communities without formal organizations. Well, you know, like families. Jesus had a clear vision for his family and community in church. It's displayed in his prayer in the garden just before Jesus is arrested. And he said, I ask not only on behalf of these, that's the disciples, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may be all, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given them so that they may be one as we are one. I am them and you and me, that they may be completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's John 17, 20 to 23. So Jesus wants us, his global family or church, to be one. And it's our unity and togetherness that will show the world that God sent Jesus. Today, obviously, we don't appear to be one or in unity. We appear to be split into thousands of denominations and groups, many which contradict or or conflict. But members of Jesus' true community and true body of Christ, his church are found inside every denomination and also outside any denomination. And we are one. We are one with all our sisters and brothers who are members of Jesus's family, both those who are part of a denomination and those who are not part of a denomination. We are one. So with all that said, and the fact that we are the church, what does God command us to do as the church? What does he command you and I to actually do. Isn't that what truly matters? Not attending a 90-minute show once a week. I'm not putting today's church down, which amounts to a service in a building. I'm I'm telling you what the Bible instructs is the real church and what the real church is instructed to do. So here's what it says. Let's follow it now. First, we have a Christian duty to serve each other. The Bible says each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. That's 1 Peter 4.10. So it's in our service that all will see God's grace in action as we demonstrate our faith. Service is the embodiment of Christian love towards others. Secondly, we have a Christian duty to encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another And build each other up. It's too easy in this world to become discouraged because of work, relationships, uh, finances. It's only through encouragement that people can rise up and overcome any obstacles that they may encounter if they believe in Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. So it's our Christian duty to help them believe, help them overcome, help them stay faithful in a discouraging world that's ruled by Satan. Has anyone looked outside lately? Has anyone read a newspaper or news feed or the news lately? This world is falling apart around us, just as Jesus and others warned us about in the Bible. And many quote unquote Christians are relying on this world, sugarcoated with a 90 minute service in a box on Sundays to help them navigate life and become the Christian that God has called them to be. We cannot and are told not to allow this to happen. I just read it straight from the Bible. God has commanded his church, you and I, to do that. It's no longer us that live, but Christ that lives in us. Thirdly, we have a Christian duty to help carry the burdens for others. Galatians 6.2 states, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Nobody should have to walk alone in the valley of being burdened. We need to walk with others and share in and lighten the heavy load that many carry on their shoulders. Jesus removed our greatest burden at the cross. Therefore, we, just as Jesus did, need to help out our brothers and sisters who are lost in the valley. Lastly, we have a Christian duty to pray for each other. James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So the heavy loads we carry just don't stay in the natural world but also belong in the spiritual. We must pray for each other. Sometimes when we're tired and burdened and we just don't feel like praying. Therefore, we as Christians must intercede and plead for our brothers and sisters and pray on their behalf. Powerful and effective prayer will make all the difference. To whom much is given much is required. This was another verse that had shaken me awake when I first heard it about two years ago for the first time in my life. Again, where was this preached my whole life or growing up in the church? To whom much is given, much will be required. It's Luke 12, 48. If you have heard that wisdom, you know it means we are held responsible for what we have. So if we've been blessed with talents, wealth, knowledge, time, and the like, it's expected that we benefit others. This is being the church in the mission field of life. As Christians, we have a duty towards each other. It's not simply a choice, but it is required Therefore, be encouraged that we're talking about this today and take your post as a soldier in God's army and serve God and others to the fullness and completeness of your duty. For if you don't take up your post and do your duty as God instructed, who will? Each one of us has the personal responsibility to, as Mark 1:15 states, repent and believe the good news and then to glorify the Lord with good works. Ephesians 2.10, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. 1 John 5.12, those who choose to reject the truth of God are without excuse. Romans 1.20, we cannot avoid our personal responsibility to exercise faith in Christ. As the Bible clearly states that Jesus said, faith without works is dead. What do you think a lukewarm Christian has? Faith without works would be one. As G, as Jesus pl- uh, stated so plainly in Revelations 3, 15 to 16, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. How can one misinterpret or sugarcoat that? So you may be asking by now, what faith and actions am I required to do? My friends, what good is it for one of you to say that you have faith if your actions do not prove it? Can that faith save you? Suppose there are brothers or sisters who need clothes and don't have enough to eat. What good is there in your saying to them, God bless you. Keep warm and eat well. If you don't give them the necessities of life, so it is with faith. If it is alone and includes no actions, then it is dead. Someone will say one person has faith and another has actions. My answer is, show me how anyone can have faith without actions. I will show you my faith by my actions. Do you believe that there's only one God? Good. The demons also believe and tremble with fear. You fool. Do you want to be shown that faith without actions is dead? How was our ancestor Abraham put right with God? It was through his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the, on the altar. Can't you see? His faith and his actions work together. His faith was made perfect through his actions. And the scripture came true that said Abraham believed God. And because of his faith, God accepted him as righteousness. And so Abraham was called God's friend. You see then that it is by our actions that we are put right with God and not by our faith alone. It was the same with the prostitute Rahab. She was put right with God through her actions by welcoming the Israelite spies and helping them to escape by a different road. So then as the body without the spirit is dead, also faith without actions is dead. That comes straight out of the Bible, guys. My final statement is this. To be involved with other believers is vital to a fruitfully spiritual life with God. He backs this up. When Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 18, 20, he said, For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. More proof that gathering with believers is encouraged, but not necessarily limited to a physical building called a church as a check the box item off your spiritual life's to-do list. God gives us our checklist of life. One of those is to be the church. Use your time, your gifts, your talents and heart to give to others. If Jesus came to save the world, yet spent his entire 33 years of life being a servant, literally washing the feet of those that loved him, it leads me to my final question today. Whose feet are you washing today or or tomorrow? So before we end today's show, I just want to thank you for tuning in. I hope you were touched by God through today's messages and, and scripture. I'd like to ask you a favor. Only if you receive any value out of today's show, would you tell at least one person that you know? Just call them, text them email them, talk to them, tell them to give the show a listen. It may just help them in their walk with Christ as it has others. Also, I really need your support. If you could just give me a quick rating on the uh, the app or the or the site that you're on to listen to this podcast, it takes three seconds. I'd love that support. It allows the Holy Spirit and the Lord to reach even more lives through this podcast. And if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can write me a note uh, on shakenawake.com forward slash contact. You can also email me directly at Ben at shaken hyphen awake.com or call or text me directly for any reason at all. It's 407-493-3208. Again, that number is 407-493-3208. I'd love your feedback, your questions, ideas for the show, requests for the show, criticisms, corrections. Again, I'll always say this and I mean it if it's important to you. It is absolutely important to me. Also, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to me as well. If you have a life and or eternity changing story that you'd like to share, please let me know and I'll schedule you in. We don't hear enough of the truth these days or the positive ways of God and Jesus Christ these days, as you know. And this podcast with your help is gonna change that up. So I'd love your help with this where you can. So next week, tune in Next Sunday evening or whenever you're able, spread the word to a friend as we dive into one of the most controversial subjects in the Christian world today. Once saved, always saved, the false doctrine. Some Christians say once you're saved, you're always saved. Other Christians say that once saved, always saved is a lie straight out of hell. Who cares what they or I say? We're going to break down what the Bible states and how it stands on both doctrines. And we'll prove once and for all with God and the Holy Spirit's Spirit's guidance, which is the false doctrine and which doctrine is of the Bible. So next week's episode is another powerful and do not miss episode. Thank you for joining. Until next week, take great care of yourself and each other. And God bless you all.